Hey everyone, we just had another shiur as part of our Jewish ideology, answering some major questions that I think will help your life, regardless of whether you are uh, Jew, Gentile, young, old, new to Torah, old to Torah, answering big questions, addictions. Many people have all types of addictions, practical advice of how to overcome them. Many people see questionable statements in the Talmud about Gentiles. Is there a difference between Jews and Gentiles when it comes to Torah? and how it applies to their life, not just the laws, but actually if they learn, what does it do for them? Does it do something different to Jews versus Gentiles? You'll have the answers for that. You also have a lot of answers for different questions when it comes to character development. Why it's not only good for you to develop your character traits, but it's simply a must for anyone that wants good for themselves, and much, much more. Enjoy this year, supported by donating on bhtorah.org, and most importantly, Share it with as many people as possible. Call Tuv, Bachabat and leave some feedback at the comments below. Shavua Tov, Shavua Mevorach. We're back here continuing our uh, series, Jewish Ashkafa, based on the uh, Sefer by the uh, Chazonish. Uh, the Sefer, Baruch Hashem, has uh, been studied uh, countless times by many people, but I think that uh, the way we've done it, uh, especially in the English language over the last uh, couple of years, has uh, certainly uh, brought a, a lot of new insights to many people. So Bezot Hashem will continue uh, going into the next section of the uh, of the Sefer and uh, actually putting things into practice, Bezat Hashem. Uh, so tonight's show will be for the Refuah Shlema for Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Avimori David Ben Nesriah, Imimorati Doris Bat Jora, and uh, all of Am Israel and all the righteous Noahides will have Atzlacha Rabba, Bachava Atzlacha, Bechol Ha'asiyadim. Uh, each one that continues to contribute and help us with all the things that we're doing uh, so we have uh, uh, lots of stuff a lot of material just a update for anyone who wants to uh, donate support uh, or volunteer uh, please contact us uh, you could uh, go to the website bhtorah.org or bezatashem.org uh, and again I remind you uh, anyone that has uh, specific skills, especially coding, uh, that uh, wants to uh, join our team of volunteers, or perhaps has uh, uh, you know any type of uh, thing products that they want to offer, please contact us. We have uh, a team that we're uh, looking to build. So uh, anyone that has the ability, and is uh, especially if they're passionate about our shulim, is someone that we'd be happy to talk to. Uh, so with that being said, Baruch Hashem, we have uh, this uh, series each week giving us some new insights of how to become better people not just uh, how to become better jews but also how to become better people and last week the uh, the chazonish reminded us that uh, if you see that there are certain people out there uh, that have uh, naturally they have uh, good character traits they're naturally more humble they're naturally more generous uh, and uh, you know you happen to see that uh, they come from a family of uh, big rabbis and Talmidei Chachamim and Torah scholars, you should know that, yes, this, these types of character traits do, uh, you know, go uh, and uh, actually are, uh, are something that the kids acquire. Uh, 
Uh, and it's not because it goes through the genes as far as the, uh, uh, the cells that you have in your body, the physicality aspect of it, but rather because the Torah continues to uh, stand for its, uh, you know, for, for those that learn it. You know, anytime a person uh, toils in Torah and uh, invests their life into learning Torah, that Torah, in essence, promises to uh, continue rewarding that person both in this world and the next. And many times you see that the uh, greatest uh, scholars that we've had throughout all of the generations typically were very close to other bigger scholars, uh, either their father, their grandfather, and so on. Now, of course, if you go uh, back long enough among everyone in this generation that's part of Am Yisrael, uh, you'll see that everybody's grandfather at some point was a Torah scholar. Uh, in fact, when the uh, Rav Yashiv uh, passed away, uh, there, uh, there was another uh, person that passed away around the same time, but uh, he was a scholar in a secular world. And uh, when you actually saw what they both left over for the world, you saw, in essence, the benefits uh, of investing your life into Torah. This uh, scholar from the secular world left a, uh, you know, a couple of uh, uh, kids, a few grandkids. I believe the total sum was somewhere around 10 or 11 people that were left behind. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, I'm sure that he had a uh, relationship with them. I'm sure that... Uh, they uh, loved each other, but at the end of the day, you uh, lived an entire life, a hundred years approximately, that he lived and uh, left a, uh, ten people behind him and, uh, you know, some scholarly work that, uh, you know, some uh, still liked, but quite frankly, most people already have forgotten about. On the other hand, you had Ravel Yashiv pass away on, uh, on the same day. And uh, it was well known that Rav Yashiv left behind over a thousand descendants, over a thousand children and grandchildren and grandchildren's grandchildren were still, you know, were alive at the time of his death. Uh, and of course, his work, his uh, Torah teachings are still learned every single day today, uh, years after he's already passed on. And many of the teachings that uh, he actually taught are still being taught by his uh, descendants. And in fact, many new teachings are coming out from their descendants. Other uh, rabbis and other Torah scholars that uh, you know are connected to Rabbi Yashiv and also uh, Rebetzins. Uh, so you see that the, there's a world of difference between what you live in the, leave in the physical world when you're glued to Hashem, not just by simply uh, you know, uh, being a, uh, a Jew, just by, uh, you know, uh, the, the luck of the uh, you know of uh, of being born to a Jewish woman, or if you converted, but uh, just studied on the side. But somebody that really toils for Torah, somebody that really invests their time into learning Torah, sees the benefits much more than uh, you can possibly imagine. Now, the one thing that was very uh, well recognized by Rabbi Yashiv when he was still uh, uh, young was that he was an Eved Hashem. He was a servant of Hashem. And nothing can remove him from the book, uh, you know, because that's really what he wanted. And it was actually a, a man that came into uh, the, uh, the shul that uh, Rav Yashiv used to study in all the time for many years. And uh, when he came in, this old man was looking around and somebody asked him, you need anything? We, you know, they didn't recognize the guy. He was uh, somebody that came from America. And uh, he said, yes, yes, I'm looking for uh, this, uh, this person. He says, who, who are you looking for? He says, his name was Eliashiv. Eliashiv, I want to know if he's still here. He says, you mean 
Rabbi Yashiv? It's like, yeah, perhaps. And they point at him, and he's still in the same corner, and the man started to cry. And they said to him, you know, what, what's wrong? Why? Why are you crying? He says, you don't understand. Many years ago, I went to the same cheder as Rabbi Yashiv. I went to the same cheder as him. And we both studied, but he was the one kid in class that before class, after class, it didn't make a difference. He was always in that same corner all the time. And he just, you couldn't remove him from that book. No, no matter how much we distracted him and bothered him and tried to get him away, nothing moved him from that book. Now, obviously, we all grew up. We all moved our own ways. And, you know, I went to America and I haven't been in Israel in many, many years. And, uh, you know, I just came here and I wanted to see whatever happened to that boy. Almost 80 years have passed and he's still sitting in that same corner. And that's why I cry. Because I went, I lived my life and everything else, and he's the one that won. He's the one that stuck with Hashem and his Torah. So we see from here that, you know, the average person that is familiar with what Torah is, is always going to be jealous of the Torah scholar. But many times they don't believe that they can do it. They don't believe that it's for them. They don't believe that they have the inner talents. Little do they know that anyone can do it if they are simply willing to make those sacrifices. Now, many times when you tell people that, you know, you need to learn Torah, and if you want to be a Torah scholar, it requires a lot more than just learning from the books. You have to obviously emulate the Chachamim. You have to uh, change your behavior. It's a lot more than just learning text and having a good memory. And this is part of the the, uh, journey that many people don't really realize. And many times they think that if they simply read enough books or at least tell people they've read a lot of books, then that would make them a Torah scholar. And many times you see that some of the biggest problems that the Jewish world has had are from people that are just like that, where they have read some text, have enough information to make them uh, you know, uh, dangerous in a sense of, of conversation. It sounds like they know what they're talking about, but yet the behavioral traits are still very much the same, if not worse than what they were before they learned Torah. And that's one of the things that Rav uh, Chazonish has uh, been teaching us here about how a person has to work no less on developing their character traits and eliminating the bad bad traits uh, as they do in learning Torah. And when they're learning about uh, the Torah, they also have to know that this has to be coupled with learning character, about character development, learning Musar. And although there are some people that are born with a much more refined character, all of us have met some people that are perhaps more generous than the average or just more gentle than the average, more honest than the average. All of us have met some of these people and some people, of course, were just stellar and it looks like they, uh, they were literally uh, had a uh, golden seed of some kind, some type of uh, uh, divine uh, uh, inspiration uh, led to this uh, person, and uh, certainly these, some of these people are, uh, you know, are there. But as the Chazoni says, these are few and far in between. They're not. Uh, they're not many people like this in the world that are connected to the sages, that are connected uh, in, in uh, you know, biologically as well as uh, uh, otherwise. And the key is to know is that all of us can still attain those very same attributes if we work on ourselves and which is in essence the purpose of our life so here in the uh fourth chapter 12th section 
the uh, the Chazonish goes into a uh, set of teachings that is really going to start addressing some of the more practical aspects of it as far as how do, can we actually do all of this? How do we apply some of these things? What do we need to do? How do we actually uh, a do-it-yourself, if you will, of refining your character traits? So he starts off and he says, from the above, we can learn that even though the concept of character traits had to be brought into the world in order to bring about the service of Hashem in all of its perfection, and even though the books of moral teachings have made character traits into a separate chapter in the book of man's life, the truth is that the traits are not a separate reality. Rather, since the foundation of man is made up of both body and soul, bearing different, indeed opposite tendencies, the body tends towards the pleasant, whereas the intelligent soul disdains it, the sages chose the term midot, character traits, to describe the body's tendencies. And by breaking down these tendencies to divisions and subdivisions, it's easier to find means of waging war on each and every one of them successfully. For example, one may cure tendencies towards desires with appropriate means, those of anger with others, those of jealousy with others, those of honor with others, but fundamentally there is one root for all base tendencies and one root for for pleasure of, of the soul. Up to here is what we'll cover tonight and see how we can dissect the holy words of the Chazonish and try to see how we can apply this to our lives today. So first and foremost, we see right from the beginning as the Chazonish and the rest of the Chachamim are very particular about the language that they use, the words that they use, especially if you read it in Hebrew and understand the language, you see how particular they are about using every single word. And uh, in the beginning, the uh, Chazonish is telling us that this whole concept of, of character development that was brought into the world was not brought into the world just to add another teachings like people do in philosophy or other uh, uh, intellectual endeavors that are out there. You know, there are always new types of teachings. Somebody sent me a video uh, earlier uh, today or yesterday about how there was this one guy that says that there is uh, certain teachings that are going to help you, you know, perfect your life if you work on such and such. And in reality, all he was doing was quoting what the sages have already taught for the last few thousand years with just some new lingo. Anything that's of any value is always going to be found in the Torah. So, especially when it comes to things that are going to improve your life. So, the Chazonish is telling us here that this concept of character traits that was brought into the world was not brought into the world just to add another teaching to the world, but rather this is to as, as part of the servitude of Hashem, the servitude of God. But he adds a few extra words where he says, in all its perfection. What does it mean in all of its perfection? If a person thinks that they can serve Hashem to the best of their ability, but their best abil- their ability falls short with some key aspects, some key tools, then the reality is that they may not realize it right away, but they'll realize it eventually that they're not going to get that same fulfillment that their colleague is getting, that other people are getting. What is this like? If somebody wanted to build a table, it's an analogy that Rav Ephraim uh, taught me. He says, if somebody wants to build a table, now, of course, all of us know the table, you know, a normal table will have four legs, but he wants to use 
two legs that are long and two legs that are short. Now, although he used four legs, the reality is that instead of having a table, he has a slide. Maybe his kids can have fun on it. Why? Because although you used the parts, you used the wrong sizes, the wrong midot. Midot is also for size. So a person has to understand that it's if a person wants to refine themselves as a person, you want to become a better person, you want to develop yourself in such a way where you can become the best servant of Hashem, which by default would mean you would become the best husband or the best wife or the best son or daughter or the best employee, the best boss. You'd simply become the best version of yourself that can possibly exist as a result. The better you are as a servant of Hashem, the better you are as a human being altogether across all spectrums. Now, in order to do that, you have to realize that you cannot just pick and choose which character traits you're going to work on. You have to understand that you have to work on all of them. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to work on all of them on day one, but you have to take this into account and realize that every one of the character traits that you are aware of, that you are weak on, you must work on. Every one of the character traits that you are strong on, certainly you have to keep them strong. But needless to say, just because something is more difficult for you does not mean that it gives you the permission to just simply delay and procrastinate this until eternity is over. You have to take this into account and realize that these difficult ones are the ones that you have to work on more than the others. Because in order for the ones that are you're really good at, for them to shine like they should be, you have to have everything else catch up. It's not just, listen, I'm really generous, so therefore it's okay that I'm angry. I'm really, uh, 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 you know, I'm really, uh, you know, welcoming, so therefore it's okay that I'm stingy. It doesn't work that way. If a person wants the world to know, and, and of course wants his creator to know that he is generous, that he's welcoming, that he is uh, kind, whatever, whatever good trait that you have naturally, if you want the world to see this truth about you, you have to make sure that the rest of your weaknesses catch up because if they don't then you're going to be simply just like that table that table that has four legs but two are long and two are short and simply it's no longer a table it's a slide so the uh the chazonish is in essence telling us here that the service of hashem in all of its perfection means that we have to serve hashem by perfecting all of our character traits one after another especially when it comes to the weaker ones rather than focusing only on our strengths now even though the uh, the um, english translation here is the book of moral teachings really the language that the uh um Chazunish is using is sifre this is something we learned in the previous lectures where the book of moral teachings are generally not going to be the uh the friendly love dove stories it's not going to be about the smurfs it's not going to be a po- pokemon it's not going to be sugarcoating anything the books that are going to teach you about character trait development are the books of musar which are also called the books of Yira, which means the book the, the scary books why the scary books why are the scary books the ones that are going to teach me how to behave a better uh, better because the scary books, i.e. The, uh, the books of Musar, are going to tell you first and foremost the consequences of not following the law, the consequences of not developing your character. Just like we learned in the last week, 
when we heard that uh, really the uh, original candidate to become uh, the, uh, uh, the the lineage of Yehuda that the Mashiach was going to come from was Eliav. Eliav, the oldest brother of David Amelech. But Eliav, although he was beautiful, he was smart, he was clever, he was strong, he was literally perfectly fit to be the next king, to be the one that the Mashiach is going to come from, Hashem passed him over. He did not choose him. Why? Because Eliav tended to have anger. And Hashem did not want an angry leader leading his people. And that's why he was passed on when Shmuel came to, uh, to uh, uh, choose the next king by putting the, uh, the, the uh, special oil on them. When he tried to put the oil on Eliav, the, the, the bottle miraculously made all of the oil disappear. But when David the youngest of all the sons walked into the room immediately the oil jumped out of the bottle and went on to David and everyone knew that he is the uh, the one that Hashem chose so here we see that the Torah knowledge of Eliav the uh, the, uh, the 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 physical nature of Eliav the everything that he had was good but he was had a character trait flaw in comparison to his brother, to his younger brother, uh, 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 David. And for that, he lost something that is unrepairable. I mean, just imagine that if he was Eliav chosen, that means that if there was a book that he wrote, that would be the book that would be included in the Tanakh instead of Tehilim, instead of Psalms. If there was a, uh, uh, you know, uh, the stories about the continuation of the lineage, it wouldn't be stories about the son of David, Shlomo, but rather the sons of Eliav. If it was the life experiences that we learned so much from in the Torah, it wouldn't be the stories of David, but rather the stories of Eliav. If it was everyone constantly trying to figure out who is connected to the Mashiach, where could the Mashiach come from, we wouldn't be looking in the direction of David, and quite frankly, we may have not even noticed that David ever existed throughout all of history because of how the, the light of Eliav would have shown to such an extent that everything else becomes dim next to it. But that shiny light literally was almost turned off in a, in a spiritual sense because of that character trait flaw. So wh- while a person had all of the qualities necessary in order to be the one that could be chosen to be the father of Mashiach the 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 forefather of the Mashiach itself that one character trait of anger removed that uh, from him and his brother was chosen now of course Hashem is perfect and obviously always makes the perfect choices but this the sages teach us is how much you know a person has to look at each and every character trait flaw when you realize what's on the line it's not that it's just your you know your marriage uh, could be hurt by uh, your anger or your relationship with your children could be hurt because of your stinginess or your relationship at work could be hurt because of your arrogance customers may run away from you uh, you may not end up getting the promotion sometimes a boss doesn't want to give the promotion to the most arid, arrogant guy even if the most arrogant guy is the best at what he does nobody wants an arrogant person to uh to to be a leader of his people because they know that naturally this type of trait hurts others you know they they're in essence building themselves by walking over everybody else's corpses 
so it's a it's a it's a trait that is detestable by most normal people so that character trait that could have gotten you uh you know the type of ambition that you needed or the type of uh motivation that uh, you thought you needed in order to succeed could also lead to a lot of failures so a person when he thinks okay you know what maybe it's not worth it to be a prideful person maybe it's not worth it to be a stingy person or a lazy person or an angry person but you know worst case scenario it'll hurt this one relationship but uh that's where it's contained here the Torah is trying to teach us that no 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 it's much more than you can possibly imagine Eliav was a very smart person Eliav understood that he had the potential to be the next king he had everything that you possibly needed for a king but the last thing on his mind that he would ever think was that this one trait weakness that he had it wasn't like he was some angry monster beating up people in the street but it was a according to his level a character trait weakness that when he expressed anger when david came to uh see them at the uh camp when they were going to war that was a uh, already too much anger expressed hashem says no a person like this cannot be my leader so in his wildest dreams or perhaps in his biggest nightmares you would have never imagined that he would lose all of that just for that character trait imagine how much a person would lose just for having not just anger but also a lot of the other weaknesses and at the same token how much a person can gain by developing those character traits and perfecting them so this is some of the stuff that the books of Musar teach us where they're not going to tell you listen it's good for you to be generous because people will like you it's good for you to be friendly because you'll have more friends it's good for you to uh, not be angry because no one's going to get scared from you that's not what you're going to find in the books of Musar the books of Musar are going to capitalize on the number one motivating emotion that a person has every person has which is fear fear is the is the one emotion that drives people to do most of what they do in life fear is what drives you to work fear is what drives you to marriage fear is what sometimes drives you to have kids and sometimes what to have a divorce and sometimes to eat and sometimes to uh exercise and whatever you do generally speaking has some type of fear built into it even if you don't realize it many times people think no no I just like to look good why do you like to look good why do you spend an hour and a half two hours a day in a gym why do you want to look good the reason why is because you're afraid that people will mock you you're afraid that people won't look at you you're afraid that you may miss out on certain opportunities whether it's uh, uh employment opportunities relationship opportunities and so on and so forth so a person could literally invest an hour and a half two hours a day or more exercising without really realizing the root of what's motivating them to actually exercise and the same goes with their work sometimes a person could literally spend their entire day working and working and working and whatever it is that they're doing because they'll tell you listen I want to be successful but why do you want to be successful oh I want to buy big things why do you want to buy these things who needs more than one house I mean technically even if you are a uh, uh you know a uh, a billionaire you still have to sleep in one bed can't sleep in two beds you know so even if you have 50 houses you can only use one at a time and in fact even in that big house that you have you can only use one bedroom at a time and in that bedroom even if you have 50 beds you can only sleep on one bed at a time why do you work so hard to make so much money I mean sure it's, for, it's certainly a way to keep the score that's the argument that I used to use myself when I was on Wall Street for nearly 20 years 
it wasn't the money that drove me it was simply the fact that you know the money is the way for you to keep score of whether you're being successful or not and that there is a measure of truth to that but in reality everybody that that digs deeper into their soul will find that there is a deeper meaning behind why you work so hard usually it's either it's a fear of something it's either a fear of addressing the other parts of your life so you keep yourself busy or it's a fear of being poor it's a fear of a of uh, you know being frowned upon or mocked and so on and so forth so when a person digs deep down into their soul they'll find that their number one motivation their foundational motivation to do almost everything that they do is fear-based and thereby the books of Musar are building on that why waste time trying to figure out what everybody else's motivation when the truth is that everybody's foundational motivation is that fear so that's why there's so much teachings in the Torah about fear because if that doesn't motivate you nothing else will now of course I know there's a lot of people that say no listen Rabbi in the beginning I like to be scared I needed to be scared but now you know I like to uh uh, you know, I like something that's a little calmer. I like something that's not going to scare me all the time. Oh, you know what that means? It, you didn't change your likes. You didn't change your likes. You simply decided that you don't want to grow anymore. You decided that you want to uh, simply stop hearing about things that are going to motivate you and remind you that there's more work to do because you want to be on a spiritual vacation. And of course... The books of Musar, anyone that studies them, whether it's what we're learning here or many others that are out there, the sages are going to tell you about different scary things. Sometimes those scary things are going to talk about the things that are happening in the, obviously, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the world after this world, some of the things that are happening in this world that we live in, and so on and so forth. But the key is to know that if a person goes into this Sifrei Yir'ah, these, uh, uh, these books of, uh, of Musar, they'll find that these teachings have separated the subject of uh, a man's uh, character traits into its own chapter. Meaning that what they're trying to tell you is that developing your character traits requires a set amount of time, a set amount of attention, a set amount of dedication from your life in order for it to work because you can't just passively work on your you know anger problem you can't just passively work on your laziness problem you can't just passively work on any one of those character trait flaws if you want to address it then you have to go full force and not only full force on that on full force on everything else you possibly can handle at that time because you have to realize that it's not just the easy ones that you can build on and make them shine so much that uh, the, the, uh, the darkness that's among you is not going to be seen. No, no. It's that that darkness, that weakness is going to stay there and in fact going to have a bigger impact the more you work on the others and leave it behind. So the Chazonish is telling us that the... Uh, Bale Musa, the people that the sages that taught Musa wanted to get our attention by telling us that this character trait development is a separate teaching of its own. But he says the truth is that the traits are not really a separate reality. Rather, 
the the foundation for all everything is the same it's all part of the same foundation but it was necessary to break off the teachings of musar that are about character trait development in order for it to be more uh, uh, um, more effective why because the foundation of every man is made up of two things body and soul you have the physical needs that are the motivation of a person and then you have the intelligent soul the physical needs many times are the opposite of what the intelligent soul wants and the way for a person to develop their character traits and succeed means that they have to overcome these uh, bodily desires and make the intelligent soul the priority now the chazonish is telling us that the fact that they're opposite the bodily desires are opposite of the intelligent soul is one of the most important parts of character trait development and the reason for that is because if a person wants to see where their weaknesses are but they don't have let's say a one-on-one teacher they don't necessarily have a uh, teachings like this that are spoon feeding it to them and telling them exactly what to do Hashem even gave them nature within themselves to identify their weaknesses and that is simply look at what you lust for if you lust after certain things especially if it's beyond the norm if you lust after food you're you're one of these people that eats all day you always have to choose something or you're constantly thinking about a uh, uh, intimacy you're constantly thinking about a uh, money making you're constantly thinking you're, you're investing your a lot of your energy focused on one particular thing and it's constantly on your mind even when it's inappropriate for it to be there then obviously that's a weakness and it's time for a person to start using their intelligent soul to overcome it the sages term this midot they call this midot they call this character traits in order to describe the body's tendencies midot are also uh, a word that's uh, measures and if a person looks at their measures looks at their midot they'll see which ones are the weakest that are literally you know there's like May Day announcements there's SOS you have to fix it everyone's complaining about it your wife is complaining about it your kids are complaining about it your 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 boss complain about it. the customers are complaining about it this is just something that is constantly a problem you're you're lazy you're arrogant you're this you're that that's the ones that you'll see something is causing that some type of physical desire is causing that if a person can identify that you know which usually only takes a matter of minutes or seconds even that physical desire then they'll have a much easier time to overcome that uh, that uh, physical tendency that leads to other character trait flaws now the sages broke down these tendencies into divisions subdivisions in order to in order to have make it easier to find the tools that are necessary to wage war against each and every single one of these and as Rabbi Ephraim says 
the only solution to overcome these character trait flaws that stem from physical tendencies physical desires is by training the intellectual soul how to overcome these desires and also any other possibilities that would come from this for example if somebody has a uncontrollable or even not even uncontrollable simply they're they're an eater they're one of these people that eats a lot and they uh they want to overcome it now of course everyone has seen the videos of some guy that used to eat a lot and he stopped eating or he started replaced the eating with something else and he's just you know eating grass every day for six months or a year and he runs around all day as if he has no work and no job and no responsibilities and somehow he loses 150 pounds and those are all fancy uh fantastic stories the reality is very different there was a lot more behind the scenes you didn't see and even more than that not everybody can do the same thing not everybody can simply dedicate every single one of their waking hours you know deciding which uh, version of grass they're going to eat today and not everybody can do that but that doesn't mean that a person cannot overcome their uh, their addiction to eating so if a person wants to do that first and foremost they have to see okay wait do I have a plan do I eat all the time or do I eat whenever I'm hungry once they start thinking about it, okay so I could handle the fact that you know I don't necessarily need to eat all the time I can eat when I'm hungry and I'm not necessarily hungry all the time and there are certain things that fill me up better than others if I eat junk food if I eat candy and chocolates and so on those are sweet and tasty and I like it but it doesn't fill me up if I order Chinese food I could eat it for five hours straight and still remain hungry why because it's the same thing like candy but if I eat I don't know I eat a piece of uh, meat and uh, some bread or I eat uh, I don't know a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or I eat some of these other uh, uh you know uh sandwiches some other form of uh food that fills me up then I won't necessarily be craving for something shortly after so automatically a person could see that again it's not even necessarily that you need to eat that much is that sometimes the food that you eat is what leads you to eat more and more secondly it's also a decision that a person has that the intellectual soul has to overcome the physical desire by simply deciding that I'm only going to eat when I'm hungry not when I simply want to eat and I'm not hungry all the time so that means that automatically a person could you know remove at least 50 percent if not 90 percent of the amount of times that they eat all day they don't have to look like a cow chewing its cud all day why because I'm not hungry all day the other aspect is that they have to also consider how does the food affect them how does the food affect them the certain foods that make them tired certain foods that uh you know uh you know don't necessarily make them tight certain foods that even energize them and so on and so forth many times you'll see that some of the Torah scholars that were very particular about their time many times you see them eating the same thing for 50 years in a row one famous uh uh, uh dish if you will that uh is well known is uh the dish that Rav Kaduri Rav Kaduri Allah Shalom used to eat Bamba breakfast lunch and dinner you would eat Bamba now Bamba for anyone who doesn't know if you're not Israeli 
and you're not uh, uh, you're not familiar with bamba. Bamba is a snack. It's a peanut butter snack, like peanuts, uh, 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 puffed peanuts, but it's really corn. Long story short, it's a it's something that is uh, uh, was good for his stomach, was good for his a uh, uh, to to be satiated from, and that's what he would eat. Bamba. Now again, you may choose to eat other foods. Why did he choose that? The same thing like uh, Rav Steinemann. Rav Steinemann would eat a potato. That's it. Potato. No meat, no chicken, no sauce, no nothing. Potato. Why? Because I eat, because I'm hungry, and this food satiates me. That's it. I don't have to worry about the other things. Now, again, I'm not telling everybody this is for everybody. I'm not recommending for you to start eating only potato for the rest of your life or even just steak for the rest of your life. Many people simply cannot handle that. But the point being is, is that when a person decides that they're going to eat for the sake of satiating their hunger and not their desire, automatically that removes a lot of the extra that a person has. But that requires the intelligent soul not only to decide that it wants to win, but it also requires the intelligent soul to plan and train itself, as Rabbi Ephraim says, for all possibilities of failure that, that you can encounter. Meaning, if a person has been an eater his whole life and he knows that listen i like to eat i like food i like to the feeling it gives me i don't like the extra pounds it gives me or extra kilos depending on where you are in the world but i like the way food is fantastic but it may be ruining your marriage it may be ruining your marriage possibilities it may be ruining your life your health and so on so what do i do i gotta obviously overcome it simple once you've decided you overcome it now what are the things that cause you to have the failure just like you know if you are going to help somebody that has a drug problem or an alcohol problem one of the most important parts of helping an alcoholic or any type of addict is triggers eliminating the triggers is not possible you have to train for the triggers why because the triggers will come the triggers will come if you plan for uh, you know oh listen I'm not gonna hang out with this friend anymore he's the one that brings me to all the parties and there once I'm at the party I lose my mind you're right yes you shouldn't hang out with that friend but guess what there are 8 billion people in the world other people will show up so eliminating that trigger is not gonna solve the problem you have to eliminate the triggers that you can eliminate but you also have to train your intelligent soul to handle whatever obstacle is going to come so in the case of the alcoholic or the drug addict okay what can i do of course the bad friends deleted the phone number you have changed the uh email any way of contact that you have to your past life has to be changed yeah but they know me exactly that's the point eliminate all those all those contacts make sure that you are making it as difficult as possible for any of those people from the past to ever contact you again i know people are very particular about their emails and their phone numbers especially this is one of the things you need to do in order to move on eliminate those people from contacting you but that's not going to be enough you also know that when you go to certain places these things are obviously come up you know that if you go to a certain street you go to a certain city you go to a certain place these things will constantly trigger your evil inclination the memories of the past but only the good parts 
that uh, that happened. Not the bad parts. Not the overdose. Not the uh, car accident. Not the uh, fights. It's only going to remind you of that good time you had before everything went south. So you have to know now that you're sober that you have to simply eliminate any possibility of going to those places but also if somehow you end up making a wrong left turn if somehow you end up running into one of those old friends if somehow somebody finds your phone number and calls you you already have to have at least three to five different actual experiences that remind you of how bad it is to follow suit with this issue. Instead of thinking, hey, yeah, you remember those good times with those girls and those boys and those this and those that. No, no. Think about, immediately have in your uh, uh, um, uh, memory, your front lobe memory, right in the beginning, at the top of your brain. Oh, first three things. Oh, yeah, remember I actually almost died as an overdose. They had to, uh, you know, take my blood out of my body, clean it, put it back in. The family was crying. My mom was uh, already be suicidal. And all the horrible things that happened, have that here, not here. The other part, wait, you know, so long as I, uh, you know, I was a drug addict, I couldn't get a normal job. I know, and if I do it again, I could lose the job that I have or any possibilities. In so many words, everybody has at least three horrible things that they can think of, of what happened. And to constantly remind themselves that if I open this door again, it's going to get even worse than what it was last time, because it always does. The same concept for a person that has issues with hunger or, or issues with food. If a person understands that, okay, I don't want to eat constantly. I don't want to be obese. I, you know, if, you know, I just simply want to be normal, eat when I'm hungry and that's it. Okay. So that means that you can no longer go to those places that you typically eat at. But not only that, there are sometimes people that don't even realize that all of their casual eating is what's adding all of the extra problems. So for example, people that have a lot of time on their hands and they go shopping, you know, some people, especially here in America, I know people love to go shopping. They go to malls and shopping centers and all types of stuff. They have a lot of time on their hands. This is certainly time that uh, you could certainly save and do something much more useful in. But nonetheless, if you're going to do it, if you must buy something, generally I would recommend simply buying it online. But let's say you have to go, you're one of these people, people, you know, you have to see people, you have to, I don't know, breathe fresh air. Fine, no problem. You're a normal human being. There's nothing abnormal about you. But there's no need for you to go through the entire mall in order to buy a shirt. If you know you want to get a shirt, go to the store you want to go to, get the shirt, and leave. Why? Because in the past, when you were going to get a shirt or shoes or whatever it was, you went to the mall, you walked around. After a while, you got tired, you know, because who wants to walk around all day? You are tired. And where does everybody go when they get tired? They go to the food court. And you can't just sit in the food court, do nothing. You have to order food. And before you know it, you spent an extra half hour of your life eating food you didn't really need to eat just to take up some time. And you ended up, you know, feeding this bodily desire unnecessarily. Now, of course, this is just one of millions of examples that I can give you. 
The point being is that there's a lot of this extra stuff that a person does that is simply unnecessary. And when they train their intellectual soul ahead of time for all of these experiences, they could now overcome them. Now you say, okay, next time I need to buy something, I'm just going to the store I need and buying it. I'm not going to all the extras. Next time somebody says, listen, we're having a party uh, for, I don't know, for some game or we're having a get together. What I know that if I go to these parties, I'm going to start eating and pretty much, you know, never stop. So no party, or I'm just going to go at the end, or I'm just going to give myself a schedule. I'm only going to go there for, I don't know, a set amount of time. And I have to leave no matter how fun it is. Point being is, is that a person has to give themselves some type of gate, some type of fence around their own behavior in order to contain themselves from losing control, not go to certain places, not uh, maintain certain relationships and simply plan all of these things ahead of time, not the day of, but rather it could be months or even years before these things happen. What, if, what do I do if this happens? Oh, if this happens, then plan is one, two, three. What do I do if this happens? Oh, plan is I'll do one, two, three. And think of, sit there and think of all of the different possibilities that could lead you to that door that you were once inside of. Now you finally get yourself out of and you really don't want to get into. So now that you're healthier, spiritually healthier, is the time to train yourself for that war that may or may not happen. Now, one of the problems is, is that sometimes people just don't believe that they will face that war. This is especially so when it comes to spiritual battles where they have lived a life full of sins against the Shem. They weren't observant. They weren't uh, keeping. They weren't doing anything. Uh, perhaps they were an idol worshiper in Christianity, Catholicism and the likes. Perhaps they had all types of immorality on their uh, on their uh, day-to-day life, homosexuality and promiscuity, adultery and the like. You know, they lived a life of sin. And now they have changed. And they figure, listen, now that I've changed, I've put a kippah on, I'm more modest, I'm more this, I'm more that. That's it. You know, everyone's simply going to know that uh, I picked a different way. And they're going to respect me for it. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. In fact, more wrong than you can possibly imagine. All of those people that you had in your life that couldn't care less if you married a cow or you married a, uh, an elephant from the zoo, all of a sudden they care about the fact that you want to marry a religious woman or a religious man. All of a sudden they care about the fact that you're moving to a religious neighborhood. All those people that didn't care anything about your religiosity, suddenly they start caring. And they start calling and they start hounding you and they start making you put, you know, putting questions into your mind. Why? These are the tools of the Satan. He's constantly going to send you different things that are either going to make or break you. And if a person trains themselves that if this person calls, this is what I'll say. If somebody that says this to me, this is what I'll do. If, you know, if you train yourself for these things, then you'll have the tools to overcome them. And one of the things that you're not going to have is the anxiety that people have when they get surprised. You may have anxiety in the beginning of all the possibilities that can happen, but that eventually goes away as you train yourself. But 
the anxiety that people have when people attack them when people surprise them doesn't exist anymore why nothing surprises you why doesn't anything surprise you because you've already trained for it mentally you've already trained for it mentally that if somebody says such and such to me I'm either I either have this response or that response this response that I know the response to what they're saying or that response that listen I don't know the answer but I'll get back to you and it's okay not to know it doesn't mean that I have to continue this conversation of oh if I don't know that means that I don't know enough and all types of other mumbo jumbo that people put into your head that just because you don't know everything perhaps you shouldn't do anything this is unfortunately one of the tools that the satan tries to play on people where they tell you listen how do you know you're making the right decision with this marriage how do you know you're making the right decision uh with becoming more religious how do you know you're making the right decision with converting or with doing tshuva how do you know you're doing it you don't know everything the truth is nobody knows everything about anything that they do but that they're not going to tell you but even more more uh, uh, um, significant is the fact that when it comes to following Hashem you always have to remind yourself no one has ever lost by following God no one now I don't mean the God that people create up in their mind in their false religions I mean the God of Israel I mean Judaism no one has ever lost by following it now that doesn't mean that as soon as everybody or anybody does tshuva and abandons their false belief they automatically win millions of dollars and they find their love of their life and they don't have any hardships no certainly everybody has hardships everybody has difficulties but the key is that in the long run you will see that your life ended up being a million times better than everybody else around you that didn't do it now this may take time to uh to to be apparent but it's a fact now a person that's going to wait to have all the knowledge before they act is not only not going to ever attain that knowledge but even if they were to attain a lot of knowledge they still would not have the conviction because part of the things that uh, uh the biggest thing that makes the Torah different than any other physical aspiration that a person has whether it's a uh, attaining a certain uh uh, physique or a monetary uh, you know a bank account or a career or anything else is that the greatest part of the Torah is that it's not just the knowledge that you attain or the uh, the different ceremonies that you become a part of but rather the feel the feeling that you get that is with you at all times the more Torah you have the more apparent that feeling is the stronger it is where the world around you seems like it's like a distant from you you're a part of it but you're removed from it everyone can be screaming fire that they're worried about something and you're just walking around and going about your life why because you know there's a God above that runs it all and everything's under control different things can be happening nice things not so nice things but you know that everything is okay even if you don't understand the people around you may be full of anxiety and, and worry and they're not really sure of how it's going to end and what's going to be and who what when and how and you just go about your business and learn your books connect to Hashem pray for salvation pray for him to help you and that's it this this constant agenda that people have simply doesn't exist for you the more knowledge you have about Torah that you're applying to your life the greater that's going to be in your life 
and the less the outside world will have an impact on you especially conflicting beliefs people that have opposite beliefs of you if your beliefs in Hashem and your knowledge of Hashem is strong nothing can move you even if somebody brings you Yoshke brings you Jesus from Genom and shows it in front of you it won't do anything for you it won't affect you in any way somebody can give you some really you know cleverly worded essay that disproves such and such doesn't do anything for you won't move you but if you're weak or better said not strong enough even a strong little wind of heresy can move your opinion oh I have doubts rabbi I don't know what do you mean you've been religious for three years already what do you mean you have doubts doubts of what I don't know this uh this guy he just wrote this book and he just made this video and he said that you know God said let us make man uh, you know like us and and you know what does it mean like maybe there's more than one wait so you're telling me that one sentence that you heard on some YouTube channel or some book or some I don't know some uh, uh event that you shouldn't have attended in the first place that one sentence took three years worth of Torah learning into the garbage that's it that's all it took something's wrong here did you really study to for the last three years or are you just like you know a passerby like you went once in a while because it's not possible for that to happen if, if you really studied that much and that's the truth the more you learn Torah and you connect to Hashem and develop your character traits both on a spiritual level and a physical level the stronger your belief system is going to be and the more immovable it's going to be where many times you're simply going to look at people that have the opposite uh, ideology as just you know either crazy and you feel bad for them or you just I don't know nothing you can do it's like a hopeless situation it's certainly never going to change your mind but many times people say yeah but what about the fact that this such and such and all of those people and all those they don't like what you say so well I made it up did I, did I create this I'm reading from the books the sages that toiled for years and years they said it I'm reminding you of it that's all I'm doing I'm not creating anything out of my head this is simply what the sages said I'm just reciting it call me a parrot call me a donkey call me whatever you want the reality is I'm reading the book for you that's all I'm doing now if you have a problem with me fine you can like me dislike me. I don't really care but if you have a problem with the sages that means you have a problem with God because all they did is recite what the sages from before did and what the sages from before did and what the sages from before did all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu so by you disagreeing or simply criticizing or making fun you're not doing yourself a service you're not disagreeing with me you're disagreeing with God and that's in essence what Moshe Rabbeinu said to Am Yisrael when they were complaining against him and he says you're complaining against me and you think it's just me but I'm nothing your complaints are against God so the stronger a person has their 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 uh belief system in Hashem in his Torah the more immovable they become it doesn't matter what everybody else does you could be surrounded by a bunch of heretics it won't make a difference but unfortunately many people don't necessarily they learn Torah on the side and you know when they have time but they don't necessarily live it or they don't necessarily toil in it 
to the point where they are movable. And many times they learn different types of ideologies at the same time, so nothing is ever really truly a fundamental teaching to them. Nothing is ever really a foundation to them. There's just a bunch of knowledge from different places. So when a person delves into the Torah and realizes that this holy Torah has to become their life. Yeah, you have to work, you have to be married, you have to have kids, all those other stuff. Life exists. But the foundation that's going to be the manual of how you operate all of those things is always going to be the Torah. When a person does that, nothing can move them. Now, if a person is going to wait to understand everything before they do it, then they can already know and be assured they're never going to get to that point. Why? Because the, the biggest distinguishing factor from the Torah to everything else that's out there is the spiritual feel that you get. Now, there was a guy, there was an intellectual, that knew that there is truth to the Torah and said, you know what, I'm willing to do tshuva and start keeping the mitzvot that I understand. And of course, the rabbis welcomed him and they were happy to accept him. And he came to the Bet Midrash and he started learning. And he's learning Chumash and he's learning Bereshit and he's Noach and Lech Lecha and so on. He's learning different parts of the Torah. And uh, after a little while, they asked him, listen, uh, we're glad to have you here. Why don't you uh, join us for prayer? When is prayer? Oh, we have prayer in the morning. It's called Shachrit. We also have prayer in the afternoon. It's called Mincha. Usually right after we have Arvit. So he prayed in the afternoon with them, at night with them. Everything was fine. He read from the book, the Sidul. Great. He's like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. The next day, next morning he came. And he sees something strange. Everybody there. It's early in the morning. But everybody, instead of doing what they did last night, which just read from the book, Everyone has this talit, and they're putting on tefillin. These little boxes with straps on them. In English, they call it phylacteries. Now, he has seen tefillin before. He knows what tefillin are as far as, you know, it's not like completely ignoramus. But he just didn't get it. Why? Like Everybody was very like focused, and even when he tried to talk to somebody, they, they couldn't talk back. So he went on his way. Somebody offered him a tefillin. He said, no, thank you. And of course, no one's going to make a big deal out of it yet. But after everything was finished, the uh, rabbi came to him and said, listen, uh, now that you're you know, learning with us, you know, pray with us, why don't you put on tefillin? He's like, why should I? Well, it's a mitzvah. Well, great, it's a mitzvah, but it's a lot of mitzvot. I heard, you know, there's hundreds of mitzvot. Maybe I don't need this one. Especially since you're saying it costs so much money. I don't, I don't see the need. He said, no, 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 you have to do it. Whoa, have to? You didn't tell me anything I have to. Why? Why do I have to? He said, because this is one of the covenants. Okay, well, there's other covenants. I mean, I'm, there's a covenant of uh, Brit Milah. I have that one. Even though I didn't ask for it, my parents did it for me. Yeah, yeah, but there's a different covenant. There's also a covenant of Tefillin. And he just simply doesn't get it. They try to explain it to him, and you know, Moshe Rabbeinu said it, and it's in Shema Yisrael, and Hashem said it, and he just doesn't get it. And after they see that he's not getting it, they take him to one of the Gidolei Ador, Rav Avramsky. Rav Avramsky, Rav Yecheskel Avramsky, 
he's a giant and they bring him to him and uh they tell him listen this uh young man he's an intellectual he's a very smart guy and uh he simply doesn't want to put on tefillin now if asks him why don't you want to put on tefillin he says it's not that i don't want to it's that that i'm just not going to do it until i understand why why do i need to do it so Avamsky says to him okay i can explain to you why to put on tefillin in accordance to sources from the torah why to do it based on the teachings of the midrash why to do it based on the teachings of the mystical teachings of kabbalah the zohar kadosh why to do it according to alacha i could teach you why to do it according to your health according to psychology according to literally every body of teachings you can imagine i can give you reasons of why to put on tefillin so the guy's excited he said, but before i do that i want you to do something for me put on tefillin for 30 days without any reason after you put it on for 30 days you come back to me and i'll sit with you for as long as you want to cover all of those subjects if you want or as many of them as you need deal the guy says yeah that's reasonable enough and that was the deal they shook on it i'll see you in a month a month passes by you know the guy's putting on to fill in and a month passes by and Rav Ramsky remembers don't just make empty deals a month passes and the guy doesn't come two months three months four months almost five months pass and the guy shows up as soon as he comes in he says to him no where are you I've been waiting for you why you don't want to learn now finally he says no 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 believe me had nothing to do with that after three days of putting on tefillin I got the point I got it on my own flesh and blood I got it I didn't need to I didn't have any questions anymore I didn't have any questions there was no point of meeting after a month three days after it's on my body I already knew sometimes a person will delve into different things from the world he's familiar with but apply that to the world of Torah oh I'm only gonna keep this once I understand it I'm only gonna keep this once I'm ready they don't realize that no one ever loses by following Hashem and his holy Torah and if you follow Hashem blindly and simply do what he says you end up being the biggest winner why do you think Noah is specifically mentions in the Torah that Noah ish tzaddik tamim bedorotav Noah is the man that was righteous and complete with Hashem in his generation now he could say Noah was tzaddik Noah was tall and handsome Noah was very smart which he was he invented the plow he built the ark I mean he was a genius but it didn't mention that he was smart it didn't mention that he was tall and handsome it didn't mention that he was rich it didn't mention that he had three unique sons it didn't mention that he had the special he was the first one to ever have fingers before that there was only like uh one one uh, uh thumb and this was the uh, finger that's how it was this is why as soon as Noah was born the verse says that oh this one is going to bring uh ease upon us it's going to make the uh, work easier number one it's mentioning that Noah 
invented the plow, but also because Noah was born with fingers. But that's only mentioned in the uh, in behind the scenes, the explanation to that verse. Why didn't it say that Noah was born with fingers literally, or Noah was very smart, or he was rich, or this, or why? Why? Because the Torah mentions the most critical points, the points you can learn from, the points that you can do. Noah ish tzaddik tamim bedorotav. Noah was righteous, but not just because Hashem decided he's righteous. No, there's no favoritism here. He's righteous because he's tamim. He was complete with Hashem. He didn't have to understand everything in order to do it. Hashem said it, I'm doing it. And even before Hashem spoke to him, he did the word of Hashem. He did what he knew. What was transferred from generation to generation, the ten generations between Adam Rishon to Noach, there was the there was the uh, law, the, the six Noahide laws. There were seven Noahide laws. The seventh one was given to Noach. The first six were in the world. Noach knew them. Noach followed them. He didn't have to oh, it make sense. It doesn't make sense. Am I going to benefit? Not benefit? No, there was no need. And in fact, there was no punishment yet. Because the world at that time, the Midrash says, the, in the Gemara also, in the Masechet Sanhedrin, says that the world was literally a uh, 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 similar to heaven. The weather was always perfect. Everyone was financially well off. Everything was great. So it's not like Noah saw that there was a lot of punishment everywhere. This guy got cancer and that guy has AIDS and this one just got divorced and all these problems that you see in the world today. So maybe I should be good so the problems don't come to me. No, there wasn't any of that. The world was amazing. But yet Noah was East Sadiq Tamim. He still followed. So the more uh, uh, the, the more important part of Noah's life wasn't his wealth or inventions or everything else, but rather the fact that he was complete with Hashem, something that we too can emulate. When a person is constantly waiting to understand everything in the Torah, before they do it, what they're doing is they're literally, they're killing the Torah. Because they're eliminating the ability of the Torah to literally bring life into your world. Because you're waiting for the Torah to prove itself to you. And then you'll understand it. Or you're simply delaying until you get to studying it and realizing it. And you may never ever get there. Not even because of the uh, issues of time. But because the Torah doesn't simply unveil itself to anybody that just simply reads it. Two people could read or a hundred people could read the same thing as the Rav is reading. And guess what? Only the Rav understands what he's reading. Everyone else can be getting a mistake. Why? Because he has refined his soul in such a fashion that the Torah is willing to unveil itself to him and not to the other hundred people. How did he refine himself? By perfecting his character traits. So here the Chazonish is telling us that if a person wants to perfect their character traits, they have to wage war on each and every one of these character trait flaws and understand that there is a specific cure for the tendencies towards all types of lustful desires. If you have all types of lust in your head, you're constantly thinking about immorality, you're constantly thinking about promiscuity. You're constantly thinking about things that are simply 
not good. Not even from just a religious perspective, but even from a simply a life perspective. People that are the most promiscuous end up having the most horrible lives of all. They age the quickest. They end up being the loneliest, most prone to drug, uh, uh, drug abuse uh, and other types of abuses, emotional uh, 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 disasters. Yeah, but he gets a new girl every day. And guess what? He'll probably commit suicide by the time he's 30 or 40. And he'll probably end up being, uh, you know, unmarried when he's 50 years old still. All those girls that he has, they're not to his benefits. They're to his detriment. Same thing with the girls. The girls that were running around and pretty much selling themselves for, uh, for, uh, to different rich people. Guess what? Those girls end up becoming the most miserable people in the world. Eventually, they wake up one day, they're not as beautiful. They're not as desired. And even if they are desired and they are beautiful, they're more lonely than ever. Why? Because they don't have a baby. Or like some people unfortunately do where, like this woman just literally sent me the other day. I was beautiful, I was young, everything was great, I did whatever I wanted, but then I realized that it's not really that good, so I started changing myself. But the change took time. And I was already approaching 40 years old. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't find somebody that I could marry, even though I was more religious, I was doing uh, you know, better things. And I decided, you know what, let me just be with this guy that I met. And why not? He's a decent person. And guess what? I'm four months pregnant, or three months pregnant, and the guy has already left. He's not interested in me. I'm not interested in him. And I have no idea what to do with this thing that's in my body. I made a mistake. Now, why did she make this mistake? Because again, she wasn't following Hashem's advice. And you know how many women make this mistake where they get pregnant? Why? Because of this is the outcome. Yeah, but I changed. Yes, you changed, but not really, or too late, or there's consequences despite the change. And many times these people that are the most promiscuous, that look like they're winning, they end up being the biggest losers in society. One of the prime examples is the real lives of people in Hollywood and celebrity and success. In fact, one of the things that I heard a very wise person say recently, that's a, not a Jew, I don't think he's a Jew, but he's a very, very smart guy. He actually said that he did like a, I don't know, I guess there was like a private study that the more successful people became, the more miserable they became. In fact, money was not only the answer to all people's problems or the key to happiness, but quite the contrary. He actually saw that the, he did a study where there was a, uh, uh, they checked the level of happiness of people that got into a traumatizing accident and became paraplegic versus people that won the lotto. He said during the first year, of course, the people that got into an accident, their happiness went drastically lower while their, uh, uh, the people that won the lotto, their happiness skyrocketed but after 12 months he says you it's unbelievable the statistics are that they both go back to where they were before the event meaning the guy that won the lotto he may have 500 million dollars in his account 
But if he was a miserable guy before he won the lotto, he's back to misery after the lotto, just a year later. The guy that was a paraplegic, if he was a happy guy before the accident, guess what? He finds a way to get back to happiness a year later. So we see from here that success monetarily is not going to bring you happiness. And in fact, most people, their happiness deteriorates over time as a result of, of, of the success. So if a person has these desires and they're constantly moving due to these desires, they have to know that there is a cure for it. The cure is to strengthen your spiritual self. Strengthen that intellectual soul and realize that although there may be some physical relief, physical excitement for a moment, that is going to be short-lived in comparison to the damage you're causing yourself. And I'm not just referring to the damage you'll get in Gainome and punishment and how they're going to put, you know, do surgeries on your uh, uh, sex organs, surgeries unlike anything else in this world and without anesthesia. I'm not even referring to that. I'm simply talking about life here. Your life here is going to be miserable because the more promiscuous you are, even if the promiscuity is just with yourself, the more you're ruining your life because you're going to be separated more and more from normalcy, nor more from physical health, more and more separation from spiritual health. You're going to start desiring things that are more and more taboo, more strange, more provocative, more abnormal, and simply put yourself in a class of your own and be like one of these zombies that walks into the ice cream store, but nobody's even sure if you're human or a demon. And you can't even tell that there's anything wrong with you. This unfortunately has become the norm of society in many places. And the reality is that it all starts from there. Simply allowing the, the, the perversion of the mind to lose all, all metrics. There is a solution for that. Realize that you are not brought into the world to be a horse. And in fact, even the horse is not as promiscuous as people. There has to be meaning for every action. Now, of course, if a person has the issues with anger, there are solutions to that. One of the greatest things that a person can realize and take into account is if they start thinking about the outcome of their actions before reacting. As Hillel Azaken says in Pirkei Avot, who is wise? The one who sees what will be born as a result of his actions. So of course, it's easy to get angry and lose your temper and be upset and you know break stuff. It's easy. That doesn't make you great. What makes you great is containing that anger. Now, of course, sometimes you don't have enough of a reason to contain that anger because it seems like the reason to be angry is justified. Until you start thinking of the outcome, not immediate outcome, but the other parts. Or perhaps, yeah, maybe yelling at, I don't know, your kid, he can't do anything to you. So you're not really scared of that. 
And as far as, you know, him not wanting to talk to you, nah, you'll buy him ice cream and he'll talk to you again. And as far as your wife being upset at you yelling at the kid, unjustifiably, she'll get over too. And worst case scenario, you'll buy her another diamond. You figure you'll solve all these problems. But what you can't solve is the problems that you can't see. One day, you see your kid come home with a black eye from school. So what happened? Nothing, nothing, Dad. No, no, tell me what happened. He tells you, ah, listen, there's some kid bumped into me in school. Okay, so what happened? What, he hit you? Well, no, actually, I tried to beat him up. But he ended up being stronger than me, so he punched me and I got a black eye. And the father's like, wait, wait, hold on a second. He bumped into you and he ended up beating you up, not because he wanted to, but rather because he was defending himself. Yeah. Why did you even fight him in the first place? Well, I don't know, Dad. I got really angry. He bumped into me. Why? He didn't see me? And you realize, wait a minute, you got angry. I got angry three, four, five years ago. And you learned from that that it's okay to be angry and react that way. And in fact, be violent as a result of being angry. And you realize that that anger that you thought wasn't a big deal just matured into a monster. Good luck removing it from your kid and explaining to him that it's not good to be angry. So when a person starts realizing, wait, hold on a second. Yeah, maybe the consequences right now don't seem so big. But if you think about it deeper and the actually the bigger effect to it, you start realizing, oh, this is much bigger. Just like Eliav. Eliav couldn't have imagined that him being angry at his younger brother, David, was going to cost him being the next king, was going to cost him being the Mashiach. Who would have thought that such a consequence would be? So here the Chazoni says, there's solutions for that anger. There's solutions for jealousy. Different cures for jealousy. One of the greatest cures that a person can have if they naturally are jealous is first and foremost, remove all conversations about other people from your life. Don't talk about other people. I know that this removes 90% of your conversations. That's the point. Do not mention other people's names. Number one, it's Lashonara, which in itself is a sin that you could go to Gainom forever for. If you simply understood the laws of Lashonara, you'd understand why the Chafetz Chaim cried when he was writing this. So a person that simply makes a rule in their mind, in their house, wherever they want, no more talking about other people. You don't care how much money they make, how much money they don't make. And unless you're there to help the person, there's simply no reason to ever talk to them. Talk about them. About their life, what they're doing, what they bought, what they sold, they got married, they got divorced, they're having kids, they got married. Simply do not talk about other people. Now, if you want to talk about the sages and their life in order to learn from them, no problem. But that's not what people do. People talk about other people constantly. And guess what? Those conversations are either going to make you envious, jealous, or making fun of them and mock them and, rid and ridicule them. Or make other people envious and jealous or mock them and ridicule them. In so many words, only bad can come out of those conversations about other people. So one of the things that you can remove from your life is conversations about other people. 
how much money they have, the houses they get, the, the relationships they're in, they're not in, what they did this weekend, what they said, what they didn't say, all that stuff. Simply remove that from your life. That's one way. Second thing. Second thing is also, when it comes to jealousy, is realize that everything that a person has, Hashem decided it. The Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 16a, and also Masechet Beitzah, 16b, says the same thing. Hashem decides how much money to give you on Rosh Hashanah for that year. On Rosh Hashanah, the decree is made on everybody in the world. How much money they're going to make, how much money they're going to lose. How you're going to make that money, whether it will be difficult or easier, that is determined based on your actions throughout the year. But as far as how much, quantity, that's decided on Rosh Hashanah. Now, you being jealous of somebody else's property, somebody else has a new car, a new house, a new job, a new this, a new that, all that stuff that they got, in so many words, what you're saying is that God made a mistake, you were the one that actually was supposed to get it. Now, of course, you may not think that deeply, and you just simply want that car, you may want that house, you may want that job or that bank account, you may not think that you're actually questioning God by your jealousy, but that in reality, that's what you're doing. Hence the reason why the sages teach us in the Gemara that people that are jealous will not be resurrected with the dead. Why? Because jealousy is a dust of heresy. By being jealous, you're in essence questioning God's decisions, saying that perhaps you gave them what you should have given me. Or perhaps... I don't really care if you would have given it to them or not, if I would have had it also. In so many words, you're saying to God, to God that he makes mistakes. That's obviously not a good way to start your relationship with Hashem. So a person that understands clearly, everything that I have is from Hashem. Everything that I lose is from Hashem. Everything he or she has is from Hashem. Everything he or she loses is from Hashem. There is simply no reason whatsoever to ever look at the other side of the fence and know whether their grass is greener or not. It simply doesn't matter to you. Their house is their house. It's not your house. Their job is their job. It's not your job. There's nothing to be uh, you know, jealous about because it simply does not belong to you in any way, shape, or form. It's their stuff. And even if you would have had that house, you wouldn't have had the same experience. Why? Because it's their house and their experience that comes along with it. And the more a person removes themselves from the lives of others, the more they could start enjoying their own life. This is particularly important for people that are single and are looking, but failing to find the other half. And they're upset that everyone else is married, Rabbi. Why can't I find my Beshelt? Everyone else is married, Rabbi. Why can't I find my Zivug? You know why you can't find your Zivug? Because you're jealous of everybody else. Instead of being focused on your servitude of Hashem, you're focused on everybody else's relationships. And you're constantly trying to have a better one, have the same one, have a better same one. You're constantly looking at other people's houses and guess what? You're killing yourself spiritually in the process. Hashem doesn't want to give you a Zivug when you're constantly have an evil eye on everybody else's. So a person that is looking for their Zivug, best Zgula in the world, get closer to Hashem. Get closer to Hashem. Why? The closer you are to a Kadosh Baruch Hu, 
the more you will refine your character traits the more you're perfecting yourself the more you become a vessel for Hashem to give more sustenance to part of that sustenance could be more money it could be a, a zivu could be a wife a husband children whatever it is by making yourself a better vessel Hashem can give you more but by constantly looking at everybody else's uh, uh profits and losses guess what you're ruining the vessel that he gave you you're chipping it off instead oh why can't I find uh what I you don't deserve anything under the current conditions you don't deserve anything why you're questioning God no I'm not questioning God but why won't he just give it to me oh you're making like you what you're the IRS you're the what are you the mob God owes you something instead of working on yourself to perfect yourself you're in essence questioning God or perhaps looking at other people's pie and saying how come I don't have it so that jealousy that a person has literally can be subconscious they won't even realize they're jealous and they don't realize the damage that that jealousy is causing to themselves because instead of working on themselves and perfecting themselves and getting closer to Hashem they're constantly looking at everybody else's relationships and reminding themselves of what they don't have and reminding themselves of what they want and guess what when Hashem finally sends you something you don't even know how to handle it you don't even know how to handle it why because you're so desperate to finally get something it's like you throw yourself at this person and guess what they reject you why who wants you that way you're like this like crazy person no but I'm really nice really well you didn't show it you look like a crazy person you know why because instead of capitalizing on your alone time and getting closer to Hashem by perfecting yourself you were simply looking at everybody else and just waiting for your time as if God owes you something so this is particularly important for a person that is alone you want a zgula people pay for zgula people go to special rabbis and kabbalists and they buy prayers and they buy everything you can do all of it for free how perfect yourself now of course that also means you have to perfect yourself as far as actions you cannot be promiscuous you cannot waste seed you cannot be immodest all of those things that kill the blessings but if you have all of that covered and you still haven't find that zivug guess what if you perfect yourself as a person you will become a better vessel for Hashem to bring that zivug to now needless to say by becoming a better vessel by working on your character flaws and eliminating one after another you're also going to become less picky and one of the biggest issues that we have in this generation unlike any other generation before us is how picky men and women are today in our generation literally everyone thinks that they are perfect and everyone else is deformed like no one is good enough for him no one is good enough for her uh listen rabbi she's a really nice girl it's just that you know can I get somebody skinnier what do you mean somebody skinnier you're 250 pounds and five six you look like a tire from a truck what are you talking about somebody skinnier nah you know rabbi you know I like it what's wrong with you 
Can she bring children to the world? Is she a decent human being? What are you, what, five pounds is going to make a difference? Ten pounds is going to make a difference? If you care so much, just get a liposuction for her. Pay the money. What difference does it make? So stupid, you're going to give up on all the good things that she has because of a few extra pounds? That's the decision that you have? And you think you're normal? You think that God's going to send you a decent person with that kind of attitude? Or the best yet, you hear, girls, oh, what's wrong with the guy? Oh, listen, Rabbi, he's really nice. Okay, so what's the problem? Why won't you go on uh, more dates with him? Listen, he's really, really nice. Okay, so you said that already, but why won't you go on another date with him? Um... I don't know. I don't know if you can understand, Rabbi, but he's really nice. I'm sure some other girl's going to be happy with him. Okay, fine. I understand all that stuff. But why won't you go on another date with the guy? I don't like the job that he has. What? What do you mean you don't like the job that he has? What are you, the employment department? Are you the fraud department that the SEC maybe is committing fraud? Are you uh, the IRS? Maybe he's not paying enough taxes. What do you mean you don't like his job? His job is his job. He's there to work, to make money, to pay the bills, to go home. What difference is it to you what job that he has? Unless he has a job that's illegal or a job that's full of promiscuity and immodesty. What difference does it make to you if he works for the sanitation department collecting everybody's garbage or he works for some office collecting papers? What difference is it to you what job that he has? Well, you know, I want to live a certain lifestyle. I want to make a certain way. Oh, you're one of those people that you think that you make the money. You think that you will determine how rich you're going to be. You think that your husband's job is going to determine how rich you're going to be. Oh, you're still one of those people. You know what? You're not ready for a zivug. You know what you're ready for? You're ready for basic learning of Torah and removing the heresy from your heart. Why? Because you think that you are in control and your job is in control of how wealthy you will be. And if you pick the right husband with the right career, perhaps that will decree that you will be successful. You, my friend, have the basic foundation of Judaism missing from your account. Missing, completely missing. It's as if they were deleted. Why? Because you think that if you marry a guy with a specific job, you'll be successful as a result. You'll have a certain house as a result. You don't realize that there are plenty of people that have a lot of money. And guess what? God takes it. God takes it. Gone. It's a cool movie called Hashem Took Back His Millions. Some really cool guy made it. You should watch that movie. Or there are some people that don't have a lot of money. And guess what? God sends it amazing they didn't have money and the next day they have money and it wasn't even the lotto they invented something they bought something they sold something you know what there's a movie same movie hashem took back his millions i think that's in there too the most ridiculous reasons in the world that people decide their future husband or, or wife are money looks that are we're not talking about listen she's disgusting to me or he's disgusting to me type of stuff talk about minimal stuff and guess what happens with those people they end up single they end up single and eventually settling for somebody that wouldn't have even looked at them five years ago had they themselves not become desperate too because they've aged out already and this rabotai is because of a character trait flaw that people have either it's a lack of belief in god altogether or it's simply people thinking that they're much more beautiful rich smart or whatever other thing than they really are 
and the rest of the world is all deformed according to their eyes according to their logic according to their mind and guess what those people end up being either balet tshuva and become the best people in the world or the most miserable people in the world without doing tshuva because they end up alone or they end up settling for somebody that they don't really want to or they end up wanting you know getting the 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 arm candy that they've been looking for and simply getting divorced two or three years later like it happens here two out of three relationships end up with a divorce and here in America so it's not uh, it's not a new secret divorce has become standard so if a person takes the opportunity that while you are alone you have more time less responsibilities perfect yourself as a character continue looking and of course opportunity arises Hashem send you something take advantage of it but don't be a fool and start thinking that oh if she's not perfect if he's not perfect then I'm not gonna are you perfect the more a person refines their own character traits the more they're going to start seeing their own imperfections that need work and guess what the beauty in others the beauty in others the potential in others yeah you know what maybe the looks are not perfect but that could be fixed maybe the bank account is not perfect but that could be fixed and guess what the Gemara says one of the greatest times at the time of the Beit HaMikdash that Amisai would have each year is Simchat Beta Shoeva. The Simcha that would happen at the end of Sukkot. That was a Simcha. Why? All the boys and all the girls would gather and everybody would pick a Shiduch. Everybody would pick a Shiduch. But everyone, they had dead conditions. What's the conditions? Everyone wore the same beautiful dress. He didn't have one girl that's rich wear the $5,000 dress and the poor little girl wear a Shmata. No, no, no. Everyone got a beautiful dress. Everyone looked beautiful. The best of all but there, of course there's beauty of clothes and there's natural beauty and then there's the ones that are not and the ugly ones would tell the boys pick me to be your wife pick me why I'm a good woman and if you spend money on me you could beautify me so then you'll have both good woman and beauty and beauty so a person doesn't realize wait why do I have to beautify her guess what every woman you get you have to beautify sometimes that's this is the most ridiculous thing in the world that people think no no she has to be perfect that when I meet her what do you think she's gonna stay 20 years old forever what do you think you're gonna stay this way forever and this is one of the most ridiculous things in the world today people pick and they're so picky that they're willing to waste another year of their life two years three years why because they couldn't find the, the the perfect one the 10 that they're looking for and guess what they'll have they'll have 10 opportunities and then zero choices no one will marry them and eventually they end up settling with a woman that perhaps they would have picked her to be a cleaning lady in the past why because that's what happens to such people if they would have taken advantage of the holy Torah and applied it to themselves perfect themselves and see the flaws they need to work on and then see the beauty of others guess what the ugliness would disappear because you'd see beauty because your eyes will be holy and you see that every everyone has beauty in them and even more so you'd see what you can build with this person not what you can just do with this person
And this Rabotai is one of the biggest things that a person could, could do for themselves as a service to themselves. As a service to themselves. And if a person has pride issues, says the Chazonish, there's cure for that. Pride issue has a cure for that. Everything has a cure. But fundamentally, there is one root fall based tendencies and one root for pleasure of the soul. The key here is that the Chazonish is trying to teach us that character trait development is a part of the Torah, part of the foundation of the Torah. The reason why it was broken off as if it's a separate teaching is because the sages knew that if they didn't do that, it would be more difficult for us to spot out the different things we need, the different cures we need in order to address the problem. But as the Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin, page 30, and also Gemara Masechet Sukkah, page 52b says that if the despicable Satan comes to you, attacks you, gives you some foreign thought, take him to the Bet Midrash, take him to the Torah, and if he's as strong as a piece of metal, he'll blow up. If he's as strong as a rock, he'll crumble. What does this mean? This means, Rabotai, that the cure for all of our spiritual ailments, all of these lusts for money, lust for uh, you know sex, lust for uh, uh, all types of other things, the cure for it is Torah. And Torah has a teachings that is certainly regarding the laws, but also regarding behavior. And the two go together. But the Torah doesn't affect everyone the same. It's all based on how much a person toiled. Now, one of the things that the people that like to speak against the Torah like the spot that is a, in their eyes, controversial, is that the Torah says certain things about Gentiles that they obviously don't understand, but they look like they're, the Torah is uh, very negative towards non-Jews. Now, of course, this is not true because the uh, if a person actually learned enough Torah, they'd see that there are certain uh, statements in the uh, Gemara that uh, tell us that we have to be very careful when we treat non-Jews much more even than Jews. If a Jew steals from one uh, from another Jew, then it's uh, this it's a sin of stealing. But if a Jew steals from a non-Jew, like they're doing in cash advance business, the uh, with all this uh, high interest and stuff like that, that's not only stealing but it's also chilul Hashem. So in essence, the sin of stealing against non-Jews is bigger because it desecrates the name of God. At the same token, it says that if a non-Jew learns the parts of the Torah that they're permitted to learn, they're considered like they're, as if they are a Kohen Gadol. It's fantastic. It's amazing. The problem is that if this non-Jew does not have a teacher that they listen to and they just listen to themselves, they're not going to stop at what they're allowed to. They're going to start delving into the things that they're not allowed to. And there lies the problem. Why? 
The Gemara in Masechet Megillah says that Chokhmah Bagoim Ta'amin Torah Bagoim Al Ta'amin Wisdom among the Gentiles believe. Torah among the Gentiles don't believe. Now, of course, this is one of the statements that the people that are unlearned find controversial. So what do you mean? You say that we have wisdom, but we can't learn Torah? There are some non-Jews that know the entire Tanakh by heart, or at least they think they do. Or even if they do. So how can you possibly say they don't know Torah? The same token, the Rashbam comments on Masechet Yevamot, page 103. And he says that at Mount Sinai, last week's parasha, parashat Yitro, Am Yisrael, that had the zoama of the serpent in them, that zoama was removed from them at Mount Sinai. The Gentiles, on the other hand, that weren't at Mount Sinai, that zoama is still in them. Zoama can translate to spiritual filth, it can translate to impurity, whatever you want to translate it to, we know it's zoama. There's no perfect translation to it. Now, a person, again, reads this in itself independently say oh that's not fair what because we're in a mount sinai what because i'm a gentile therefore i can't have torah that's that's racism no it's not racism there's nothing racist about it and there's plenty of other statements that you can pick and choose in a talmud that you can say oh look it's not good it's not nice to, to gentiles no what you're not understanding is this the rashbam is saying why did we lose why did we lose this zoma because we went to mount sinai and mount sinai what did we have the torah became a part of us just like the gemara in masechet sukkah and masechet kiddushin says if the satan comes to you and attacks you take him to the bet midrash if he is a stone he'll crumble if he's a piece of metal he'll blow up meaning that it wasn't us per se but the power of torah that we now acquired that removed this zoma that removed the satan from us this did not happen to the gentiles which means that if a jew learns torah now that torah could have a much bigger impact on him to the point where that Torah will refine his character after a period of time, whether he intends it or doesn't intend it. So long as he remains committed to the Torah and doesn't sin and bring the Zohama on himself, brings the sin on himself, just by simply remaining pure and learning Torah, he will become more purified, more holy, and a better person in itself. But if he brings the sins upon himself, the Torah itself is not going to be enough because he's bringing that on himself. On the other hand, when a Gentile learns Torah, yes, he can learn a lot of things that are spiritually uplifting, intellectually stimulating. It could influence him and motivate him to change his behavior, to be nicer to his wife, to be more generous with his kids, and so on and so forth. But because he still has that Zohama in him, the Torah itself is not going to be enough to get him to overcome 
all of these spiritual obstacles, all of these character trait flaws, where if the Satan comes to and attacks him, where it's a beautiful girl or a boy or it's a money or to this, even if he's learned Torah for 10, 20 years, he doesn't have the same tools to defend himself because that Zohama is still in him. And therefore, he could lose everything he gained in a single act. Whereas a Jew could also lose, but his loss usually is gradual and unfortunately could be much worse in the outcome. But it's usually gradual. It's not something that one day is the biggest and the next day is a kufir gamu. It doesn't usually happen that way. It's usually a gradual. The Gentile, on the other hand, could literally go from somebody that learns and does good things, the next day is an anti-Semite, hates the Torah, makes fun of it. Why? Because again, the spiritual defense mechanism that the Jew has acquired by being at Mount Sinai, and if somebody converts, they're in essence acquiring that also, is going to be much stronger. So it's not an insult by saying that the Jew that has learns Torah has Torah, whereas the Gentile learns Torah doesn't have Torah. He may have knowledge, but the Torah hasn't become a part of him like it does for the Jew. And we've seen examples of this where we have the Bilam knew, knew who God was, but it wasn't enough to change his behavior. We have Eliezer, Eved Avraham. Some Midrashim say that he turned into a Rasha. Of course, other Midrashim say that he was a righteous person for his whole life. But the point being is that there was somebody that was connected to Avraham that was very, very righteous, whether it's Eliezer or it's somebody else, that left it all and became an enemy of Am Yisrael for generations. How? Simple. The Torah did not become part of him. He understood it, he saw it, but he did not live it. This is also part of the reason of why I tell people that if you're able to convert to Judaism, do whatever it takes to do it. Because the benefit may not seem so great when you're still not Jewish. Because in essence, what you're seeing is, listen, I'm learning now. I'm celebrating the holidays already so why do i need to push myself you know whenever it happens it happens no no if you can push yourself push yourself because whatever you got to before conversion is nothing in comparison to what you'll be able to get to within the first five years after conversion and trust me i've dealt with enough converts to know this for fact so the spiritual tools that you have as a Jew are a world of difference than what you have as a Gentile. Now, this doesn't mean that all Gentiles are bad or all of these other statements that people like to make, uh, to, 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 to say. But the fact that Hashem chose Am Yisrael and they accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, it's a part of everybody's religion, whether you're a Christian or you're a Jew or you're a, uh, a Muslim. Everybody knows Amisai was chosen at Mount Sinai. They were the people. They received the Torah. Hashem made a statement that he will never change a nation, despite what anybody will tell you after. That's the reality. 
that gave them a certain spiritual power you could also acquire for yourself if you become part of Amisel. Now, everything we've said until now, until this last segment about the spiritual tools, improving yourself, you can apply all of that to whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. But the most potent effect, the most extraordinary effect will be on the most potent neshama. Meaning that if you are a Gentile, using everything we said in this year and everything others before it, will have a certain impact on you. Certainly benefit, certainly better, certainly amazing. But always remember that you have to work extra hard just to maintain it. And you have to work extra hard not to lose it. On the other hand, the Jews, that impact by doing all of this will have an extraordinary effect on your life. You have to be very careful not to go on a road of mistakes and leniencies and all types of skipping this and skipping that because if you fall you'll end up being worse than everybody else in creation including the worst gentiles that ever lived why the pasuk says the conquerors your destroyers come from within you the worst enemies of am Yisrael throughout all of history have been jews Meaning, we are our own worst enemies. Yes, certainly the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the, and the Assyrians, uh, the Assyrians and the uh, Romans and the Greeks, and they all were used to, to attack us. And the Nazis, yes, they're all evil, they're all bad, blah, blah, blah. But why did Hashem allow them to do all that stuff? Because we did certain things. And guess what? Some of the tools He used in this world were Jews that left the tradition. Jews that left the Torah and joined the enemy. Hence the reason why there were Jews that joined Paro, the Tanve Aviram, caused Paro, influenced them to chase after Am Yisrael. Jews helped Nazi Germany fight against their own brothers. 150,000 of them were in the Nazi army. They were killing their own brothers. How could such a thing be? The Greeks had a bunch of Jews join them. How could that be? Because if we are not careful about our own spiritual status, that extra elevated status that we can attain because of Mount Sinai that the Gentile can't attain also has an extra level of downside that makes us worse than everybody else out there. If we don't attain the levels that we need to so you see if you're able to convert and then be on a spiritual elevation on a regular basis and constantly toil to, to improve yourself certainly convert as soon as possible on the other hand if you can't still you have a lot of work to do to improve yourself but be very careful of the things that i mentioned if you're a jew if you haven't already got on the right road, get on it as soon as possible. Why? Because you're running out of time. Hashem is not going to wait for you forever. Before Mashiach comes, everyone will have to make a choice. You'll either turn into being completely righteous or completely wicked. You're making that choice now. Bezat Hashem, each one of us will have the necessary spiritual st- strength to make the right choices. 
because the reward for making those right choices is unlike any other. To finish off, I'll tell you a story since we mentioned Rav Abramsky. I heard this from my Talmit Chacham in Eretz Yisrael, and he said the story in probably a much better way than I can. But Rav Abramsky, at the time of World War II, had a, obviously, not just a war for himself, but everyone was in a war. Everyone was worried. And one day, a woman comes to Rav Ramsky asking him for a blessing because she wants to leave Poland and cross the border because it was an issue of life risk. So she wants the blessing from the Rav. Rav Ramsky gives her the blessing and he asks her if she can do him a favor. She says, sure, for the Rav, what could I do? And he says, you see, there's this book that I wrote. And it's called Chazon Yechezkel. That was his name, Yechezkel. Rabbi Yechezkel Avramsky. And this book I want to write, I want to publish. I want you to take it and bring it to one of the Gdolei Adol. Over there in Vilna, the other cities that you go to. And show it to them to see what they think of it. Just think. War, people are dying in the streets, Holocaust, nightmare. But the Chachamim, what they're thinking about, I'm going to publish another book, more Torah in the world. Such is the mind of the Chachamim. Very different than the regular people. Of course, this woman agrees, but she knows that if she's caught with this book, they're not only going to kill her because she's a Jew, she's going to kill her because of this book. So what does she do? She takes the pages of the book and she tapes them to each other, making... A one huge line and then she wraps this line around her body as if it's like a dress all the pages of the book go around her several times over I assume and then after that she puts on clothes or jacket and covers herself from head to toe and they go on this trip to cross the border as they get closer and closer to the border things become more and more dangerous once they pass the border, they get caught. This Nazis imachimam show their cards right away. Some people start running. She runs, escapes. Everybody else gets caught, shot, dead on the spot. But the Nazis don't give up on this woman. And they keep chasing her, chasing her. She ends up hiding in some house that's abandoned and she's scared to death as the Nazis are looking and they can't find her so they bring their German shepherds to go look for this woman this Jew that dared cross the border and they're looking and she sees them she can see them literally their feet away from her and the dogs Keep getting closer and closer, and this poor woman is praying to Akadosh Baruch Hu. She has no idea what to do. There's nothing for her to go. There's nothing for her to do. The only thing she has is to pray to Hashem. And the dogs walk by, and it's as if they don't see her. It's as if they don't smell her. It's as if she doesn't exist in their world. And the people, the soldiers, are looking, and she can see them. But it's as if when they look, they look through her. They can't see her. 
and they give up after a while and leave and she's free to go and she escapes and she eventually gets to one of the Gdoleado Rav Chaim Ozer Gozinski. And she tells him her story. And she gives him the book from Rav Avramsky. After Rav Chaim Ozer looks at the Sefer, tears start coming down his eyes. And he says to her, Of course, the dogs couldn't smell you. Of course, the Nazis couldn't see you. Of course, you had real Torah on you. That they could never see. That they could never hurt. That's what you had on you. When a person has perfected themselves to such a point where they're willing to sacrifice their life in order to save a sifil, in order to save Torah, in order to follow the instructions and the blessings of a Chacham. Certainly such a person deserves more time in this world. Certainly such a person deserves all the miracles. But the most wonderful thing is that those miracles are not happenstances. Those miracles are not things that they're ever going to forget about. Because those miracles become the very foundation of their life. It's a life full of miracles. We perfect ourselves according to the Torah. We follow the mitzvot. We perfect our character traits. And we emulate the tzaddikim. We start living the same miracles that Hashem gave us at Mount Sinai. Enjoy the journey. And Bezat Hashem will continue to learn more later on tomorrow. Bacha